Psalms 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin, sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, or broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt fill, thou wilt not, be, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. You can be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning already. As you can see, the topic message this morning is repentance, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, this isn't just for the youth um, who need to repent of their weekend. Um, this message actually was one that was for myself, I should say. Uh, Dave King got me a book about, I don't know if he ne- thought I needed it, but he got me a book um, a few months ago by J.C. Riley. It's a small book. I would encourage you to read it if you get a chance. It's a book on repentance. And I see the need of repentance in my life, and I'm guessing probably all of our lives, very, very important part of who we are as Christians. Luke 13, 3 says this, But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It's pretty harsh. It's a pretty hard statement. I spent quite a bit of time in the past talking about the good news of the gospel and what Jesus did in taking our place on the cross. But what good is there in hearing the good news of what Jesus did for us if it doesn't make a difference in our life? It probably isn't good news. The story goes of a soap manufacturer and a pastor who were walking together down a street in a large city, and the soap manufacturer casually said, The gospel you preach hasn't done much good, has it? Just observe the people around you. 
There's still a lot of wickedness in the world and a lot of wicked people. Pastor made no reply until they passed a dirty little child making mud pies in the, in the gutter. Seizing the opportunity, the pastor said, I see that the soap hasn't done much good in this world either, for there's still much dirt and many dirty people around. Soap man said, oh well, soap is only useful when it is applied. And the pastor said, exactly, so it is with the gospel. And I think we all understand repentance is a big part of that. The gospel message is about repentance, and unless we repent, we will likewise perish, it says. These were words of who? Our loving, faithful, caring Father, Jesus Christ, who died for us. In Luke 13, when Jesus was told of the awful stories in the news of that day, this is what he said. You can, look at, uh, you can turn to Luke 13 if you want to see it there. There was a, he was told about um, some bad things that were going on in the city of Jerusalem or in, in Judah at that point. And he said, except ye repent, ye will also likewise perish. I'm not sure I understand exactly what he was saying there. But he's saying repentance is very important for us as Christians. This morning I'd like to talk about, what Je- about Jesus' great message. What repentance is, the nature of repentance, what repentance why repentance is necessary, the necessity of repentance, and what there is that leads us to repentance, the encouragement for repentance. We'll start with what is repentance, the nature of repentance. This was the first doctrine spoken by Jesus Christ and the foundation stone of all the Bible. Repentance is such an important part of every verse in the Bible. We find the repentance spoken of 60 times in the New Testament. Jesus and Mark said, repent and believe the gospel. This is where the gospel starts and ends. Jesus, before he left the earth, said, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name in all nations, in Luke 24, 47. Last words of Jesus. Peter's first sermon was, repent and be baptized. Paul was defending his ministry to King Agrippa. He told them, He had taught all the people that they need to repent and do works fit for repentance. J.C. Ryle says, A mistake in our view of repentance is the most serious mistake. He then goes on and asks, What is repentance? He says, Repentance is a thorough change of a person's natural heart regarding the subject of sin. He then goes on and gives six steps in repentance, and I'm just going to cover those six steps. Um, today. First step, true repentance begins with the knowledge of sin. By the way, this book is an older book, which you can probably guess if he's talking about sin. You don't see that too much spoken of or talked about in books today. But sin is a very important thing for all of us to recognize in our own lives. When we become saved, our eyes are open and we see sin, our sins, the enormous extent of our sins. A repentant sinner sees how he has been deceived into believing he was a good person. Every time we repent, it comes when our eyes are open to our sins. Make sense? When our eyes are open to our sins is when repentance begins. We see God's holy law and how we have not measured up to that law. This will bring guilt, conviction, and repentance. When we spend time with God and His Word, we will live lives of repentance and not of guilt. I'm going to say that again. When we spend time in God's Word, we will live lives of repentance and not guilt. 
so important to be in the Word. The Word will cleanse us. It will bring to light our problems. If you don't like your problems being brought to light, then don't read the Bible. But if you want to repent and change and take care of um, that nag in your heart of our sin. Second thing is, true repentance produces sorrow for sin. So first of all, it begins with a knowledge of sin, and then it produces sorrow for sin. When we look at our sins, it will produce sorrow for what we have, do- not, for what we have done, not sorrow for getting caught. Sorrow for how we have hurt others. There is remorse for the pain we have brought God and others. A sorrow for what we have done. We mourn our dishonoring of God by the sin we committed. The burden of our sins is sometimes overwhelming. I think most of us as Christians understand that and know that and still have times where we're reminded and brought to repentance by sorrow for our sins. When we sorrow in this way, we come to the second step of repentance. And by the way, it's only the second step. Um, True repentance produces a confession of sin. The next step in repentance is speaking to God about our sin. And this is important. Something within us, may I say the Holy Spirit, tells us we need to pour out our heart to God. We need to cry out to God and ask Him to forgive us and let Him know our need for change. We bring our inequities to the throne of grace. Our burdens within us no longer can be kept silent. We pour out our hearts to God in repentance. We're willing to say like the prodigal son, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. My iniquity is great. Be merciful to me as a sinner. We'll just stop right now. When was the last time we have done that? I think when I look at my life, it's not enough of days, times when I stop and truly am sorry for the way I've hurt those around me and hurt God. When a person confesses in this way, it leads them to the third step of repentance. And that is, repentance leads to a breaking off of sin. Now this might be where it's getting a little old-fashioned, because we see today so often repentance, sometimes people think repentance is saying sorry and continuing on. In In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes this, the church's integrity problem is a misconception. He says this, that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin is a change in belief without a change in behavior. He goes on to say, it is a, rival without reform. Is it, it is a revival without reform, a revival without repentance, which isn't truly a revival. The life of a repentant person always brings change. I hate to be blunt about this matter, but there isn't, if there isn't change, there isn't repentance. Of course, someone who is repentant is different. A new king reigns in his heart, and he follows, what, he follows that new king. He puts off the old man. He desires to do what God commanded him. He desires to fight with sin, a war with sin, and get a victory on sin. He ceases to do evil. Isaiah 1.16 says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. He leaves the old ways, the old companions. He labors to do right no matter how feeble it looks. 
I remember a day in my life where um, I had repented of, of some sins I was in as a young man. Um, was in Bible school, actually happened in Calvary Bible School. Came home that day, walked in the door, and the telephone rang. It was my best friend who wanted to go out and do the same thing we were doing before, and I had to say no. Those hard things, when sin, when we repent, we will change things around us. It will make a difference in our lives. When a person does this, it leads to the fourth step. True repentance produces a hatred for sin. A man was praying with his pastor at the altar. He prayed a prayer the pastor had heard many times before. He said, Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. And just as he said that, the pastor interrupted him and said, Kill the spider, Lord. Many times we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, yet we leave the source of temptation right there in front of us. We need a deep hatred for sins and willing to fight and kill the sin that's taking us down. The mind of a repentant person becomes the mind of someone who desires holiness, desires a change. Romans 12.9 says, He abhors that which is evil. Do we do that? And that which is evil is that which is evil in our lives, not in other people's lives. The life, the evil in us. He often comes up short in his desire to please God. He finds himself cold when he wants to be hot, going backwards when he wants to go forward. But he is at war against sin, and he knows his Father will help him in the battle. It should be each one of us. We're not perfect. We keep making mistakes, but we are at war against the sin in our life. He is deeply conscious of this battle, but his heart is toward God and away from evil. He can say with David, I consider all my precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate falsehood. Again, not in other people's lives, but in my own life. I hate the falsehood in my life. Next step is true repentance always has a friend in Jesus Christ. And this is such a blessing. Um, We need this. Wherever repentance is, there's an active faith in Jesus Christ. And wherever you have an active faith, you find true repentance. Does that make sense? You see, we can't do this on our own. This isn't a man-made thing, this repentance thing. It is something only works when we have a faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen many people struggle to change, get rid of sin. Without a faith in Jesus Christ, that struggle will never change. These things go side by side. One is never found without the other. Repentance is the experience of every true believer. We need to examine our souls and see what we know. I want to say this. The devil will try to bring deception to our view of repentance, and I've seen this so often. There's so much about repentance that the devil will try to destroy. I have four things that the devil will try to get us on on repentance. Take heed that your repentance comes from your heart. At camp, we often talked about that. It needs to be a heart change. Uh, repentance can't be something you say. It can't be something you just cry about. It needs a heart truly need to change. Repentance is not a gloomy face or a self-righteous demeanor. It is something that comes from the heart. In the Old Testament, we know the story of Ahab. He went in sackcloth and ashes, but never repented. Repentance always is a heart thing, not an outward thing, but the heart. Second thing, take heed that the repentance is a repentance that turns to God. Roman Catholics can run to the priests and ask for repentance. Felix, in his act, in Acts, trembled when Paul preached to him, 
but he didn't turn to God. See, our repentance needs to be a turn away from our sin towards Jesus Christ, our Father, God. See that your repentance leads you to God and makes you run to him as your best friend. Take heed that your repentance thoroughly forsaking, thoroughly fors- is the forsaking of sin. Emotional people can cry when they hear a sermon but sin, on sin, but they can also be quick to return to their sin. Even Herod loved to hear John the Baptist's sermons. Why do you think he liked John the Baptist's sermons? Made his heart feel good? Didn't change a thing? Um, he I guess it made him feel good to hear him, but it didn't change anything. We come to church just to hear a good sermon or hear, have a good Sunday school class, but don't change. It's worthless. Repentant feelings are worse than worthless if they are not accompanied by change. Emotional excitement without completely breaking off of sin is not repentance. It's just emotionalism. That makes sense? I should say, it is not repentance at all. It's only putting on a bit of makeup to cover up our sin. Fourth, take heed that your repentance is bound up in Jesus Christ. And this is so important. Make sure your repentance and and sins you confess rest at the foot of the cross. This is where the cross is about. Judas Iscariot could say, I've sinned, but never went to Christ. Um, our repentance should make us flee to Christ. Our mourning should come because we realize sin was committed, pierced Jesus' side. He died for the sins we have committed, and when we sinned, we hurt the Savior who died specifically for our sins. And the sorrow we should have comes from us ultimately hurting the one who died for us. Our repentance should always bring us to the cross. Always. Because he's the one who died for us, and he's the one we're hurting. Hearing about the law and the Ten Commandments, looking at eternally spending time in hell, all might have its place. It might bring bring about fear and some change, but no repentance lasts unless we bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ. The repentance that comes when we look at Jesus and what he has done for us is the repentance that is planted in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Someone was telling me the other week, um, he was working with two young boys or young men, and the one young man was mentoring the other young man, and the young man um, and the counselor said, what keeps you, what has kept you faithful and away from sin the last four or five months? And he said, every time I want to sin, I remember what Jesus did for me on the cross. Um, Repentance is about remembering what Jesus did for me on the cross. Why is repentance necessary? The necessity of repentance now. Matthew 18, 3 says, All are born in sin, and without repentance we all will perish. The word of Jesus are very clear. Without repentance we'll all perish. Jesus Christ is clear, distinct, direct, and definite. We all need to repent. Without repentance there's no forgiveness of sin. It is important to understand here that Christ alone can forgive us of our sins. The tears of repentance don't wash away our sins. We are saved by Christ alone through grace alone. But it's also, but it, it always is true that justified people are repentant people. A sign of a forgiven sinner is one who mourns and hates sin. So if we are forgiven, we will be repentant people. The Lord Jesus is ready to forgive, pardon, relieve, cleanse, and wash, and prepare us for heaven. But he desires us to hate sin we have committed. 
Testimony of God's word is very clear. Justified people are always repentant people. Without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sin. Last one was, we are all born in sin, and without repentance, we perish. Third, second necessity is, without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sin. And the third, without repentance, there's no happiness in our lives. We have within all of us a burden for our sins. And as long as we sin, as long as sin is not repented of, our inner man will never find comfort. That's actually kind of comforting in itself. God will never let us in our sin. He will continue to remind us of our sin. And we'll never be comfortable until uh, we repent. David talked about the groaning all the day long. Talk about that a little later. We are never in a right position with God till we turn our back to our sin. Face God who created and loves us and longs for a relationship with us. Why, Why does God not let us alone when we're sinful? Because he's angry towards our sin? Maybe partially he's a holy God, just God, but also because we can't have a relationship with him when we are in sin. And he desires that relationship. He longs for us to, um, to be with him and to be able to have that relationship with him. That relationship is taken away, and we'll see that in the story of David. Without repentance, you cannot be ready for heaven. This may be the most sobering part of understanding the importance of repentance. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I know that's not found in the Bible. I mean, those words aren't found, but it, it is true. I would gladly convince myself and others there's nothing like hell and everyone will be going to heaven. But let me ask you this. If you don't have a repentant heart, will heaven be a good place for you? Without a repentant heart, with a heart of sin, heaven will never be a place you want to be. Heaven is a place where only repentant people want to be. What would you do in heaven if your, if your heart is in love with sin? Heaven would be a miserable place for you. There cannot be any happiness in heaven for those who are not repentant and love sin. If you love sin, you will be completely out of your element in heaven. We need to repent and be repenters if we want to spend our lives in heaven. No one will ever get to heaven without doing what it says in Acts 20, having repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. A life of repentance is necessary for those who want to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like now to encourage the good... I'd like now... I would like to now get into the encouragement God gives us to repent. And I guess you can guess it by now. That encouragement's found in the Word of God. This is for all of us who know the difficulties of repentance. We are slow to repent. Breaking bad habits is hard. Our sin starts out like a cobweb, and soon we are like iron chains. Harder and harder to change. I know Satan will do everything to keep us in those chains. In First Peter it says, He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you think he will give up in our repentance do you think he will give you up to repent without struggle? The Word of God has many verses of encouragement for those who want to be set free, for those who want to repent and live a life of repentance. Repentance is possible for everyone. We have a risen Lord who fought the enemy for our sake and who now lives a life of victory. And I just want to go over the words 
um, verses in the Bible that talk about repentance. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I just want to go over these verses quickly. They're just words from the Word of God. Um, first one, the words of the Word of God for our Savior. Hebrews 7, 25. There's therefore, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Acts five thirty one. God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince and, and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive, forgive their sins. Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which are, those who are lost. Jesus came for that reason, to seek and to save those who are lost. Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. John six thirty seven. all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 1 John 1, 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'm sorry, that was John 1.12. Those are words of our Savior. Promises. Now, promises in the Word of God. Listen to these precious promises for us who are willing to repent. Proverbs 28.13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. First John 1.9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We not only have promises in the word of God, but we have declarations. Here's some declarations from the word of God. Ezekiel 18, 27, but if a wicked person turns away from his wickedness, they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. Psalm 51, 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Ezekiel 33, 11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn from your evil ways. Why will, people, why will you die, people of Israel? The Word of God also has parables, and I think two parables that I know most of you know, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. If you need verses to read, um, if you need a story, read the story of the prodigal son. A son, a man, uh, a young man willing to repent and change. What a wonderful story of how God or how the father came and was willing to take him back. The other story I think about is the story of... um, of the publican and the Pharisee, and he cried out to God, asked him to forgive him of his sin. Not only are there parables, but not only are the parables, there are stories in the Word of God. Um, if you want to read some interesting stories, Second Chronicles 33 is a story about Manasseh, very, very wicked king who God brought, um, who changed and repented. Don't read, hear that story very often. Um, another story, a story of Peter denying Christ. Wonderful story of Peter repenting and how God worked in his life. Uh, another story, the story of the repentant thief on the cross. Um, but one of the, my favorite stories is the story of David and his repentance. And I just want to, in closing, um, cover that story. If you want to, you can turn to 2 Samuel 12. 
talk about David. I think this story is such a story for each one of us um, as we look at God changing our hearts and changing our lives. I'm not, going to go into Sam, uh, I'm not going to go into details of David's sins. I think we know them. We've heard them often enough. Um, but I want to go into a little bit of detail of David's repentance. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. In closing, I want to just go over that story. Background to David's repentance. The natural sequence of sin, I'm sorry, the natural sequel to sin is always to hide. Ever think about that? When we sin, we always run from God and hide away from our, or um, hide away from God. Adam and Eve, the story of Adam and Eve, you know what they did. They ran from God. We never naturally run to God when we sin. It always takes God and his word to bring us back to him. David spent nine months without making one move toward repentance when he sinned against Bathsheba or against um, God. In Psalm 32 it says, When I slept, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night my hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped out as the heat of summer. That's David during his nine months of hiding from his um, hiding his sin. The blessing of God left him, and all he had left was groaning. If you're a child of God, you will never be happy when you're hiding your sins. David was miserable for nine months. Says his bones wax cold. I think he literally was the most miserable time in his life. Now that time, if you look at the time in David's life at that time, he had everything. He was king. He had all the riches. He had everything to make him happy. And yet he was completely miserable. It's no different for us today. When we are in sin, we're hiding our sin, we are always miserable. Our bones wax cold. We are groaning all the day long. Sin never leads us to, rep- leads us to repentance. Repentance always comes through the Holy Spirit and God's Word. If you want to change, get into God's word. He will bring light to you through his word. God could have clearly ended David's life for the sin he committed. He also could have rejected him and left him alone in his sin. God could have said, I will let him repent, but he needs to make the first move. David actually broke six of the Ten Commandments. It says in Psalms, he despised the Lord and utterly scorned him. But God did not let him alone. And if you're a child of God, he won't let you alone either. God deals with his children like a father who never leaves his children and will reach out to his children in restitution. Like the good shepherd, he restoreth my soul. I think Psalm 23 may have been written soon after that. How does God restore our souls? Through the power of God's word. God sent Nathan the prophet to give him, um, give him a word from the Lord. And at that time, the word from the Lord was not the Bible as we know it, but it was the words through prophets. We know the story of Nathan. Comes to David and be, brings a case before David. He says, David, I have a case for you. He didn't quite say it in those words. But there was this man, very rich man, who had all the sheep he wanted. And he took this sheep from a very poor man who loved his sheep dearly. He cuddled his sheep 
who took care of this one only lamb he had. And he took it, stole it from him, and um, stole it from him and used the sheep for his own. And he asked David, what should I do with this man? David, you're a judge. And this wasn't unusual for somebody to come to David and ask um, for him to try this case. And in this case, the Bible says he should have restored him fourfold. But David says he needs to die, which wasn't even the case of stealing at that point. And he says, and then he needs to be restored fourfold, which I'm not sure why I told him that. But David was completely angry, furious at this man. Word of God did break through David's life. Um, sorry. We know this. <clears throat> David says, as the Lord lives, this man who stole the sheep must die and restore the poor man fourfold. It's amazing how angry we can become when we see the reflection of our sins in other people. I'll say that again. It's amazing how angry I can become when I see the reflection of my sin in other people. Confession is the first step towards repentance, but confession alone will not bring true repentance. Even Saul said, I have sinned, but he continued to sin. But the word of God did break through in David's life when nothing else did. Never underestimate the word of God in our lives. God's word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But not only is it powerful in change, there are principles in God's word that brings about that change. The principle here is kind of sobering. If you dig into the principle of the change that needed to take place in David's eyes and in David's life, Paul said in Galatians 6:10, "You will reap what you sow." God needs to bring discipline in our lives to bring about repentance. Not discipline for retribution for our sins, but discipline for restoration. This is a principle found throughout the Word of God. Verses eight to 10, Nathan told David, "The sword will never leave your life." You were a man of the sword and killing Uriah. Now the sword will not leave your life and your family. You see, even in our repentance, there's discipline that takes place. And God doesn't bring that discipline in our lives to, de- to destroy us or to punish us, but he brings it into our lives to, um, for restitution. And he did that in David's life. The sword went with David the rest of his life. David's life after Bathsheba was a very hard life. And God brings discipline in our lives to change us. He brings discipline in our lives to bring us to repentance. We know the story of Jacob the deceiver. How did God do it in Jacob's life? He brought another deceiver. Jacob had a sin of deception. What did he do? He brought Laban into his life and brought um, a deceiver that deceived him. And even David's children did the same thing to him. And how many of you as parents have learned repentance by your children's sins that you have passed on to them. You see them clearly. Sobering for us as parents, sobering for me when I see the mistakes in my children that I've made. Um, And I think that was what happened to Jacob. His sons deceived him. He was a deceiver. And at that time, and the Lord used that that as discipline to change change Jacob. And by the time Jacob was an old man, he was a repentant man. He was a man um, after God's own heart. Same way with David. We know this. <clears throat> David repented, but he, David repented, but in his repentance, discipline had to take place as he changed his life. You see, the Lord disciplines those He loves. He wants to restore our souls. He uses our own sins to change us and to restore us. R.T. Kendall says this: 
God's chastening is not meted out in proportion to our sins, but in proportion to the lessons we have to learn. It's rather sobering. He did that to David. Despite his confession, he needed to learn many lessons in order to, for God to restore him back to himself. You see, God loved David, wasn't done with him yet, and because of that, he disciplined him. God never leaves his children in their sins. God is in the restoring business, and he's looking to restore us back to himself, bring us to the place in our lives where we hate the sin in our lives. Look at the promises in God's word. David says in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. David was truly repentant. God then tells David through Nathan, verse 13, the Lord has put away your sins and you will not die. Did you ever wonder where God put those sins? I think we know the answer. He put those sins, David's sins, at the foot of the cross. He puts our sins at the foot of the cross. Last chapter of David's life was very hard, but God restored his soul. He forgave him and brought him back to himself. You think the nine months when he was in sin, when everything was easy for him, everything should have been easy for him, was a better time in his life than the last 20 years of his life when God was disciplining him, when the sword stayed in his family. I think because of David's relationship with Christ, those years, no matter how hard they were, were better years than the nine months when God had left him. Why did God go after David and restore him? Because the good shepherd goes after his sheep when they're lost in their sins. And I want to tell us this. I am so thankful for the good shepherd, my good shepherd. When I'm lost, he will go out and find me um, and bring me back in restoration. So glad if we are children of God, we will go, he will go after us when we sin and will restore us to himself when we repent. I believe every act of repentance is a miracle and a grace of God. The words David wrote in Psalm 51 after Nathan confronted him, we know these words so well, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David continued to cry out for God to clean his heart and renew his spirit. And we see that throughout the rest of his life. A question for us today is, how many of us today are crying out to God like David, asking our loving Heavenly Father in repentance to create in me a clean heart and to renew, my right, renew a right spirit within me? I believe we all know how hard repentance is. It will mean we have to give up something the devil has convinced us we can't do without. But I want to remind us, staying in our sins is much harder. And David is the example of that. If we decide we have things in our lives we want to change, I believe we understand this. I believe we understand this. God is speaking in our lives because he loves us. Because he wants to change us. Because he cares about us. Because he wants to restore our soul. Repentance will be hard and Satan will not want us to give it up. But God will give you what you need to repent and change those things. Are you groaning all day long? Are your bones wasting away like David when he was in his sins? Remember, the Lord is our shepherd and is wanting to restore our soul. Jesus is in the restoring business and looking to bring all of us to himself. This can only be done through repentance. This morning, I hope we've heard three things. An understanding from the Word of God to understand what it means to truly repent. 
I hope we have a realization, I hope we heard a realization that we aren't perfect Christians and never will be, but repentant Christians, constantly crying out to God to bring us closer to Himself. So important to remember that we're not perfect. We're not going to hell next time we sin, but we are repentant Christians. We can bring our sins to the cross, and God is constantly looking to restore our soul. I, hope, I also hope we heard enough from the Word of God to believe the promises and examples of Scripture, that we have a faithful shepherd that will lead us through our journey of repentance. I want to leave us with 1 John, um, the verse in 1 John 1, we've heard this many times, one of my favorites. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's kneel together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for being the good shepherd, um, for restoring our soul. Thank you for your word and the, um, the lessons in your word, the stories in your word, the parables, the promises, um, the verses in your word that bring us to repentance, that point us towards repentance. Thank you that you want to cleanse our hearts and continue to do that. Show us where we're wrong. Bring your word into our lives and continue to um, show us where we need to repent. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and that we can come to the cross and lay those burdens down before you and for taking up um, our sins and for um, being willing to take each one of our sins and lay the, and that, the opportunity for us to lay them on you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, for the church here. Just pray that we could be faithful, pray that we could be encouraging to each other. Um, this coming week, as we go about our week, help us to encourage those around us to be faithful um, and to be drawn to you and to your cross. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.